Well, this morning, the title of my sermon is simply, God says, come as you are, and I'll keep the lights on. You know, my text is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 23. should be displayed back there in the New King James. Of course, the sermon outline is equally on display for your easy reference. Now, I'm going to ask you, as I do every time I preach, to go with me to Psalm 1914. I want you to join me as I seek God's anointing on these my words, but they're his thoughts. And this morning, an extra facet, I'm asking all of you to seek his anointing on your understanding and your application of his thoughts. And so let us pray this morning that we will all be anointed by his holiness. Amen. So dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength, my rock, my salvation, and my redeemer. Amen. Well, he was a rebel, a college dropout, a party boy, a carouser. He smoked, drank hard liquor, was a brawler, and he was well known by all the police departments. And he had more than one visit in the local jail. And by his own admission, he was the classic example of the prodigal son. And today he stands succeeding one of the most respected, admired, and perhaps famous Americans of the 20th century, and that was Billy Graham. But I'm referring this morning to Franklin Graham. And today Franklin Graham not only has a tremendous benevolent ministry called the Samaritan Purse, but he is now preaching the gospel like his father to thousands and thousands of people throughout the world. And he will tell you that today he is where he is because he had a father who left the lights on. You know, I grew up in the country far away from here. And whenever you would go by someone's house and the porch light was on, it meant that someone was away from home, but that there was a family inside waiting for them to come back and ready to welcome them with open arms. Well, this morning, we're going to study perhaps the best-loved parable of the parables that Jesus told. In fact, if parables were songs, this probably would be voted Jesus' all-time hit. You know, Luke tells us of two famous sons. One of, the, one, of course, is the Son of God. The other is the prodigal son that we find in this chapter this morning. It is the classic biblical story of the second chance. It is a story that never grows old and is probably the sweetest storybook ending of any story in the Bible. And the story tells us probably as much, if not more, about God than any other single story in the Bible. It also tells us as much, if not more, about ourselves than any other story in the Bible. You know, it lets us know why it is so wonderful to realize 
that God leaves the lights on. And so, first, considering your outline, when you are away from God, it is your fault. You know, the story begins with a son who evidently has a very good home, godly parents, everything in life that he could possibly want. But somehow the root of ingratitude had bloomed into the fruit of rebellion. You know, this boy is tired of sowing corn in the country. He now wants to sow wild oats in the city. And so our verse 12 states, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now this son had not earned a dime of his father's money. He was a consumer, not a producer. But he wanted his share of the inheritance that was going to come to him one day, and he wanted it now. Now we all know that normally an inheritance of an estate would not be given until the death of the father. But this son wanted his share of the inheritance immediately. What he was really saying with his actions to his father was, I wish you were dead. I want what you have, but I don't want you. You know, it reminds me of the story of the little boy who kept asking his grandfather to sound like a frog. The grandfather said, why do you want me to sound like a frog? And the little boy said, because I heard mom say the other day that when you croaked, we were all going to be rich. So many people in this world are just like this boy in our text. You know, they want everything God has to give. They want to breathe God's air. They want to eat God's food. They want to walk on God's good earth. They want to enjoy God's world. But they don't want God. But notice that when the son asked his father for his share of the inheritance, the father gave it to him. Now, the father was under no obligation to do this. In fact, most Palestinian fathers of that day, as fathers today, would take this boy and kick him out into the street. But there was no fighting, no arguing, no pleading, no debating. That wise father understood that the heart of the boy had been in the far country for a long time, and that boy was going to leave sooner or later anyway. And that is exactly <clears throat> what happens. Verse 13 states, And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. It didn't take the boy long to hit the trail looking for wine, women, and song. He joined the jet set and began to travel in the fast lane. He let the good times roll. He slept by day, partied all night, and if it felt good, he did it. Nobody asked him to leave. Nobody forced him to leave. Nobody wanted him to leave. He left on his own. It was his fault. He was his fault that he got away from his father, but that tells me something wonderful about our God. As much as God loves us, he will never force anyone to obey him. He will never coerce anyone to love him or worship him. He will not keep you from making a mistake. If you are bound and determined to make a mistake, if you are going to 
you are determined to learn the lessons of life the hard way, that is exactly the way God will teach you. You want to blow your wealth, lose your health, fill your belly with alcohol, inject your veins with drugs, and ruin your body with disease, God will say, go ahead. God will lower the bar. He will flash the lights. He will sound the alarm, but he will not keep you from crossing the tracks. If you want to get away from God, you can get away from God. But remember, it will be your fault. If you are apart from God today, it is not God that moved. For the scripture says in James 4.8, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Second in your outline, consider, while you are away from God, you will have failure. Now for a while, this boy had a blast. Everything he saw he wanted and everything he wanted he bought. He was a rich kid in a cheap candy store. He had it made in the shade. He probably bought a condo on the beach, drove a Ferrari, wore tailor-made suits, had a different woman every night. He was on a 24-7 high. There might be someone sitting here this morning or online saying, don't make it sound like he was having such a great time. Well, the fact of the matter is, he was having a great time. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that there are no pleasures in sin. Listen, if there wasn't any fun in sin, nobody would sin. The devil never goes fishing without attractive bait. But this boy did not realize that the pleasures of sin will always turn into the poison of sorrow. In Hebrews 11.25, the Bible speaks of the passing pleasures of sin. It does pay to serve the devil, but the devil always pays in counterfeit money. There are plenty of kicks in sin, but the kicks always have a kickback. You know, this boy went up like a rocket and came down like a rock because verse 13 tells us he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And the word wasted used here literally means to blow. In other words, he literally blew it. He didn't just blow his money. He blew his character, his reputation, his integrity, his influence, his health, and the most precious relationships that he had. This boy knew a lot about prices, but he knew nothing about values. He wanted all the things that money could buy without realizing that things that money can buy are worthless without the things that money cannot buy. You tell me, what good is a million-dollar house if you don't have a home in that house? What good is a $3,000 suit if your body is eaten up with disease? What good is a $25,000 engagement ring if the person you gave it to doesn't even love you. You see, this boy wanted to live high on the hog, but he wound up living lower than the hogs. Listen to what happened to him. Verses 14 and 16 to 16 says, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. 
And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. This boy had fallen so far, you would have needed a ladder ladder just to reach bottom. You know, these verses tell us that his fortune was gone, his food was gone, his fun was gone, and his friends were gone. You know, you talk about getting low. You talk about failure. The most dishonorable person a Jew could work for was a Gentile. And the most dishonorable animals that a Jew could work with were pigs because they were considered unclean. So here was a Jewish boy who had everything in life that he could have wanted, now working for a Gentile, slopping pigs. Where were his friends? His friends that he had partied with all night, every day. Well, they had deserted him because they were fair-weather friends. There are people who are right by your side as long as the food, the booze, and the drugs keep flowing. But when the money runs out, so do they. I heard about a son who left home and really hadn't been gone that long when he sent his dad this telegram. Dear Dad, here I am in the big city, flat broke, miles from home, and no friends. What should I do? The father wired back, get new friends. You know, in our text, the only friends that this boy had were a bunch of pigs. And I know the son didn't have all this in mind when he walked out of his father's house. You know, he learned a very hard lesson that every prodigal sooner or later learns, and that is this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. So mark this down. While you are away from God, you will have failure. And third, on your outline, consider that when you come back to God, you find forgiveness. Now, verse 17 makes a very interesting observation. That states, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. It says the boy came to himself. Well, the New American Standard and the NIV state a more modern version. They say he came to his senses. In other words, while this boy was taken away from God, living in a pig pen of life, he wasn't in his right mind. Have you ever thought about the fact that sin is a form of insanity? If you consider Ecclesiastics 9, verse 3, it makes this very interesting statement. It states, This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. The one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are evil. Madness is in their hearts. Now think about it. What else? except insanity would cause a person to choose sin over salvation. What else, except insanity, would cause a person to choose hell over heaven? 
What else except insanity would cause a person to choose judgment over Jesus? What else except insanity would cause a person to choose eternal death over eternal life? Now you may think that it is foolish to call otherwise educated people insane, but I've got news for you. Sometimes even people we call insane show a lot more sanity than people who claim to be sane. I heard about a man that was walking around in a sane asylum. And he looked through the fence and he saw a man pulling, dragging a wheelbarrow upside down. He asked, what are you doing pulling that thing around upside down? Well, the patient said, I know you think I'm crazy. But if I turn it right side up, somebody will put something in it. Well, when this boy in our text finally understood how wrong he had been, he then saw how right he could get. So he says in verse 18 and 19, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants, an indication of humility. Make me like one of your hired servants. The homing instinct had kicked in on this kid, and he wanted to go home. And I heard about this little first-grade boy that appeared to be greatly upset when he walked into the principal's office and asked if he could use the phone to call his mother. And the principal said, is something wrong? Can I help you? And the little boy said, well, yesterday... I forgot my sweater. I left it here at school. This morning, my mother told me not to come home without it. And the principal said, so what? The boy said, well, I can't find my sweater anywhere. I just want to call her and ask her where she wants me to go. Well, this boy in our text, even though he had lost everything, he knew where he wanted to go. He wanted to go home. And so verse 20 simply says, and he arose and came to his father. Now notice carefully, he came just as he was. He didn't bathe, he didn't change clothes, he didn't shave, he came just as he was. I love that invitational hymn we just sang this morning, come just as you are, because that is exactly the way God wants you to come, and that's the only way really that you can come. If that boy had said, I'm not going back to my dad until I get cleaned up. I'm not going back to my dad until I get back on my feet financially. I'm not going back to my dad until I can take back what I took it to begin with. He would have died in the pig pen. But he came just as he was. And now we reach the climax of this incredible story. Verse 20 states, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That verse never fails to warm my heart. You see, even though the son had forgotten the father, the father had not forgotten the son. You have to go all the way back to Genesis, to the Garden of Eden, to find the first time that a man tried to run away from God. 
What do you never find in the Bible? You'll never find that God runs away from man. God never runs from you, and he will never run away from you. Now, don't miss this picture. The sun, shoulders stooped, head down, wearing filthy rags, stinking to high heaven, is shuffling slowly up the trail to his father. But the father is running to the sun. Now, that is very interesting. In ancient Hebrew culture, it was considered absolutely undignified for an older man to run. People wore long flowing robes and tunics in those days. And they would have had to have gathered all of those around his, the waist and tied them. That would have created an embarrassing situation. But this man didn't care about dignity. All he cared about was his son. And so we're told that when the father got to him, he, he fell on his neck and kissed him. That word kiss literally means to smother with kisses. Can you imagine how dirty, how filthy, how smelly that boy was? But the father couldn't taste the filth, and he couldn't smell the stink. All he cared about was that boy. And he was kissing him so much, the boy couldn't even talk. And if that doesn't picture anything else, it pictures this. A sinner may go to hell unsaved, but he will never go to hell unloved. Now, verse 21 says that the son tried to confess. Verse 21, and the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against him and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, the boy was also going to add, if you remember, that he would be willing to work as a hired servant. But he can't even get those words out because the father is so busy with compassion, he doesn't have time for confession. Doesn't it bless you to see that father never brought up the past? He just wanted bygones to be bygones. You know, the sins of the son had been buried in the grave of forgiveness and cast into the sea of forgetfulness. Because when you come back to God, all you find is forgiveness. Now notice what happens in verse 22 and 23. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. He gave his son the best robe. That represented forgiveness. He gives them the ring. That represented his fortune. He gives him sandals. That represented his favor. He kills the fatted calf. That represented his fellowship. Out in the far country, the son learned the meaning of misery. But back home, he now learns the meaning of mercy. You look at the middle of verse 20 again. And notice that every word is so beautiful and so precious. Verse 20 in part says, His father saw him and compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The word saw speaks of the eyes of forgiveness. The word compassion speaks of the heart of forgiveness. The word ran speaks of the feet of forgiveness. The word fell speaks of the arms of forgiveness. And the word kissed speaks of the lips 
of forgiveness. But in all the pictures you see in this story, don't miss the picture of the father running. Because you see, this is the only time in the Bible where we picture that God ran. And what a story it is. I'm going to ask Katie and Kate and uh, Deb to offer a concluding song of worship, and then I'll be back for closing thoughts.